Hello and welcome to another episode of The Trading Desk. My name is Joshua Thanos and I'm your host as always. Today I have a very special guest, a, uh, a friend of mine who was uh, one of the first people to introduce me to the watch world. In fact, I always like to tell people he trained me at our <laughs> at our first job and that was back in Watch You Want and his name is Sequan Gottlieb. Hey CQ. Hello Josh, how are you doing today? Good to be on the show. Oh, thanks, man. It's it's good to hear from you, man. It's uh, it's been a while. I know you and I have had a uh, we have a long history together. And, and like I said, uh, way back in the old uh, watching what days in Hollywood, Florida, when I first started. Oh yeah, well you know, everything's always the good old days. I'm sure we can we can find reasons why it wasn't. Oh, yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, we had a lot of fun back there, and you know, felt like the Wild West. You know, we were a small sales team. There was only about four of us back then, and. And there's many more now with Watchbox, and it's a uh, certainly a different world. But uh, but yeah, that was uh, so. This was back in twenty was twenty twelve or twenty thirteen, and and my first my first days learning about watches because I really had no knowledge in watches other than maybe a G Shock here or there. And uh, yeah, you were very you're fresh. You're you're you know you're a fresh little you know clay, and I molded you into that's true. I take I take credit you know for all all your success. I, you I deserve it. Do, so you know. You deserve the credit, man. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, Rose. Uh, it's it's been a long road, and, I, and I'm happy to be working with you. you our our uh, cro- our uh, paths have crossed multiple times. I know you at at Watch You Want. You left and came back, and same thing with uh, with uh, Watchbox. You, you know, bit of a bit of a transient. And I, I I always like to say that you know you you've sold watches on what five different continents, right? Yeah. Well, you know what? Well, have I? No, no, I don't know. But, Sounds but good. I have, I have been. It, it does. I, I might. I might just go with that and just make up the stories. But I definitely am like the, the transient uh, watch salesman. I, I've had an interest in, um, you know, just like you. You know, started without knowing what watches are or right. what, what what is the watch industry. Can you how are people making money? You know. But um, after college, I was, I'm from St. Thomas. Uh, I'm there. It's all you know, jewelry and watches. A very high concentration of different stores and ads. And, you know, on a Craigslist job, you know, I was thinking about this today. I was doing an interview. I found um, my first job in watches on Craigslist, and I actually found Watch You Want on Craigslist. Oh, wow. So two of my best jobs I found on Craigslist just emailing, you know, just like, you know, just, I don't know. just just Reaching out. You know, yeah, it was was funny. Um, But in the islands, I was very blessed because I worked at a multi-brand boutique that had, you know, everything, Bratland, Paddock. Mega, like so, so many different things, and there a lot of people jump and go to Alaska. And I always, you know, I'm born and raised in St. Thomas, so like, I, I didn't want to like start. You know, I was like 19, 20. I don't want to start where I, you know, on this little island. I want to get mm-hmm. back, so I always try to get back to Florida. Um, I used to live in Orlando, and then hooked up with Watch You Want in 2013. Met you. We had some of uh, some very very good adventures. Yeah. Um, then um, left went back to Alaska a little bit. Went up to Alaska for a little bit. Started doing back and forth. Um, came back when it was uh, switching over to Watchbox. Uh, when Brian Goldberg uh, was down in Florida getting all That's tanned right. up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, did, did, was there for a good bit. Um, then went back to the islands in Alaska because that's, you know, I don't know. I'm just addicted to just uh, going there. And then in 2017, um, since then, I've been back full time with uh with the watch box we're always right. you know always part of the family one thing i love about us is like we're all like one big family and like oh, yeah you work there you don't work there you can always you know make a call come by i used to 
you know, even after I left, I could just pop in, you know, it was like, uh, I love, this is like a family and it's so weird um, that it's watches, but I think, you know, we've all become, you know, nicely addicted. I remember the one thing that always impressed me about you is you became like a Panerai expert so fast. <laughs> and, you know, in, in those days, that's all we did was like Panerai and you were, you 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 knew all the numbers and I was always like I will never I will never know all the Panerai <laughs> numbers and I still to this day I just text you and like what is this and, you know you tell me the exact references I, and I was uh, impressed upon you and look boom you're uh, you're uh, you know we've been in the game for a long time now and still having fun doing it oh yeah no yeah well I'm, I it's so one thing about me is uh, you know I always I would get addicted to things and I'd become a sponge you know and so that's I I first learned about Panerai uh, OJ Watley. Uh, kind of, you know, gave me uh, my first view of Panerai because he's obviously, you know, he was one of the the original Paneristes and you know was built his business on Panerai and and so that kind of stuck with me and but uh, you know I've I've branched out to many other brands and now I'm a watch fanatic man I probably have right now in my collection somewhere between like thirty and fifty watches all from you know old uh, uh, vintage watches and some that we're going to talk about today including Sakura I have Breitlings which will be the main topic for today's show by the way guys if you didn't know. Uh, today's main topic will be Breitling, but I, I own Breitlings, Rolex, Cartier, across the board. But I, I have to, uh, I, I get passionate about things when I meet passionate people, and that's why I got into uh, uh, Panerai because OJ was so passionate. But one thing that yeah. you know, if if you weren't sitting next to me uh, my first few days at watching one, who knows if I would have stuck around? Because but your passion allowed me to you know see that there was a way to be passionate about this product that we were selling and that's that's one thing that's always you know i'm a people person and i'm i always get passionate around passionate people and that's one thing that's that's always stood out about uh, ucq is that you're a very passionate person and that's you know your background your sales background is different than mine you know mine was mostly b2b and you know wholesale and things like that you were in the boutiques belly to belly sales and, and if anyone meets you in person they you're a larger in life personality and and i don't think there's anyone who uh who i would rather have standing you know, in a boutique waiting for a customer to walk in to, to really give them that experience than you. And, uh, and I really admire you for that. Cause that's not something that I have. Uh, you know, I don't have, I have too much ADD to, to be able to, to nah, focus in like good. that, man. I'm, but, I'm a guy who's texting all day long. We got and, the Corona, you know, we got oh, the bears yeah. and the Heineken's and everything flowing. You, you know, you're good. I appreciate Don't say that, Corona man. these days, that's man. Uh, be careful. <laughs> yeah, no, I was like, as soon as it coming out, I was like, oh, you know, but yeah. you know, it's, it's sunny out, you know, you just cut a little lime. I don't know. Yeah. So you could paint a picture. So, so yeah, guys, so today's show is going to be uh, uh, surrounded around Breitling. We've been doing a few of these mono brand shows. I did, uh, I did Pat Patek Philippe with uh, Brian Godberg last week. I've done uh, yes. uh, Rolex with Manjos. Um, we recorded a Panerai show with Jason, but his audio uh, file was distorted. So we're going to redo that one. But today's going to be Breitling. But before we get into it, uh, let's do our customary wrist check. And uh, today, uh, why don't you go first on your wrist check? What do you got in the wrist today? All right. So today I have uh, Omega Seamaster 300, ah. the new ceramic, uh, ceramic and titanium bezel one. The, the black, the is just so. Sexy. Is that the 41 millimeter? I think it's the 42. Okay. The, the newer ones. Okay. Uh, when he, when these newer ones came out, um, I think a couple years ago now, I've been loving them in, in so many different shades, and the ceramic is really really awesome. Oh, the and wave I, dials know, is what you're is what you're referencing. Exactly. Okay. But I, I would say the reference number, but you know, yeah, yeah. we only have so much so much time. <laughs> but, uh, 
I, I love it, man. I always love the Seamaster 300s, and I, I think, like, this was a very good look for Omega, and it's a cool watch. It's fun. Um, I have it on rubber right now, but there's a NATO for it, and I'm sure I'll find some random Etsy person to make me something there you cool go. for it. Absolutely, and that's that's one thing that's really cool about about the watch world is you know custom straps and that's a whole other thing. Maybe we'll do a whole show whole show on that one. But all right, so you're doing the Breitling show with an Omega on the wrist. That's fair. That's fine. Oh, yeah. We don't have to be uh, beholden to to everything we talk about. So um, on my wrist today, I have my uh, my first and and this is not the only Breitling I've ever owned, but it's the only one that's stuck in the uh, in the collection and. That's because of the size, and also, you know, this is I'm, it's a joke I always make, but honestly, I'm telling the truth. I think, it, and this one is the, uh, an aerospace, right? So this is the uh, 42 millimeter aerospace advent, advantage, uh, advantage, and uh, give me a second. I have the reference number here. Let's just, I'll read it off the case back here. So for those following along at home, it's this is the uh, the E79362 aerospace advantage. And, uh, I mean, there's no better watch that's a no better bang for your buck uh, in terms of uh, a watch that you can find for probably less than $3,000 any day of the week on eBay or on a website like Watchbox. Um, this is a discontinued model. This was only made for about two years. And uh, it's the uh, – this watch has uh, analog time, digital time. Day and date, perpetual calendar. It's a chronograph, mono pusher chronograph. It's also a minute repeater and uh, a GMT as well. And I think I'm sure I, I missed a few other functions, but there's uh, no better, uh, you know, bang for your buck and uh, and no better fit and and a great way to put a Breitling in your collection that's not going to break the bank and it's going to be you know uh, working every single day. I put this watch down for months. I come back and it's still on time and I had this on a, a rubber strap with a titanium deployant uh, that has like similar to the slide the glide lock that Rolex does uh, Breitling had this long before and, and most comfortable mm-hmm. most comfortable watch and and this is a, a great everyday watch I wear this I mean it's a great gym watch it's a great everyday watch uh, on the titanium bracelets even dresses it up so uh, I, I would recommend an aerospace and like jokingly I always say like I said it's a uh, the best Breitling that they make, but they, they do make a lot of watches. And today, in preparation for the show, I started looking at their line and and kind of looking at the watches that I like. And uh, and I mean, they their new direction is actually seems like they're doing good things. So uh, why don't we get right into it? So uh, so let's start with the the new releases for 2020, and we'll work back from there, right? Okay. So uh, 2020 has been an interesting year uh, <laughs> so far. Uh, uh, you know, to say the yeah, least, right? right? Uh, things. Hey, are, but kudos to Breitling for like releasing, right, and not not being, you know, just saying, hey, let's just do it, let's right? Go for it. Yeah, brands like Patek Philippe and, and Rolex are either postponing or not releasing, and and Breitling decided, hey, listen, you know, why let's strike while the iron's hot, and I think it, it was a good play. Uh, you know, George Kern, who's in charge of Breitling now since what 2017, seems like he's mm-hmm. he's making some good. Uh, some good progress. I mean, the first his their first release was uh, what was that they made? Oh, the Navitimer Eight, which I would say was a flop across the board. Yeah, um, it should have been called the Navitimer. Like, no. I really, like I just did, I didn't understand the whole thing about a Navitimer is you know you navigate with it and you need the the slide wheel. You need the E six to be on it. Right. So to have a a chronograph, a, a decent looking chronograph, but not have a slide wheel and call it a Navitimer didn't make sense. Only, you know, because it's the oldest continuously made chronograph since yeah. like 1950 something. You That's know, right. so it's like, why? Why would you just? 
I think you could just call it like anything but an ivy timer, and it, it probably would have did ten percent better just off the name alone. I promise you. So you're saying that you like the watch, you just don't like the marketing behind it. Is that what you're saying? Uh, I'm saying it's a, it's a it's a decent watch. It's an okay watch. Like I've been, I saw Chronograph today, and I you know I locked eyes with it when we did the <laughs> dance for a little bit, and I was like. Hmm. You know, I wasn't blown over. I didn't immediately throw it on my wrist to try it on. Um, but it's decent. I could see it. The price point wasn't crazy. I think... Yeah, it is a little high um, for what it is. The, 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 the case, something about the case just doesn't do it for me. I, I uh, spent a lot of my time selling Breitling. I you know, started my career like focusing on Breitling. Sure. Like, literally, Breitling was the first luxury watch I could sell. When I started in that multi-brand boutique, it was very like... You know, very, you know, see a lot of senior guys there, kind of a shark tank, and you kind of had to earn your way up. And I, you started, you could sell Movado, you could sell Tissot, you could sell Nixon. There's a brand called Toy Watch. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you could sell that. So, like, you know, you're just, you know, dying all day and somebody's selling a paddock for 100 grand, you know, and sure. like 7% commission. So you're just like dying. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, so the, the, my, my route to like making money was through Breitling. And literally, um, we they're like oh you're gonna have to stay there like a year and a half two years to sell brightlands so me and my friend we um cut up a brightland catalog and made flashcards and like the, the you know the chronomato one just came out with new movements and everything and we literally memorized the whole line i'll never forget it was like in front of everybody my manager walked us up and down the brightland counter and we were like a brightland boutique so we had literally everything wow. so we had to describe every watch he pointed at and at the end I gave him the Brightland catalog, and he, like, knighted me. You know how the guy's sword, <laughs> and he touched his shoulders? And he's like... He rolled it up and he touched his shoulders. <laughs> yeah, no, I knew. listen, it, it felt like he had a sword, and I was being knighted. I was like, I finally, you know, joined the, the wow. round table. But it was Brightland, so that's why um, I have a deep, deep love for Brightland. And I, honestly, I made a lot of money uh, for myself getting to love the brand and selling the brand. And that's when I learned... So many people love this brand, and it's right. been around for such a long time. Yeah, well, 1884, right? That was it. Leon Breitling started and whatnot. But so um, <laughs> that's funny because I mean, that's one thing about Breitling that that I don't love is that they uh, the amount of SKUs that they have. So that would have been an undertaking, having to learn the oh, entire. Yes. Well, first of all, no way you learned all the reference numbers because you know the, yeah. people well, make fun of me for knowing the 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 Panerai reference numbers, but the, each one's only three letters. Or sorry, three numbers. So that's easy, in my opinion. If it's you got five, you but got five-digit like, like random, random numbers. right? Random digits. It's not like Rolex is five is is still five or six uh, digits, but they're sequential. They kind of make sense, and each digit kind of stands for something. Breitling, which maybe they do, but I have never uh, dove deep enough to figure out if they mean anything. And it seems like you know they all oh, oh, besides yeah, the the science. letter to begin uh, the letter to start each uh, each reference will connote this the. Um, the the case metal right so e is titanium like this is what i have here uh and then what a uh a is steel, a is steel. b is two-tone right uh i think h is like rose gold yeah um but it does have a a sequence k so what it was before, isn't k yellow they, gold k is yellow gold h is rose gold white gold I'm trying to think if i've a, ever seen a white gold bright line Man, remember I, I had one. I, I bought a really cool one last year. You oh, don't see many white. Gold. Was it, there was a white gold aerospace, I think, wasn't there? Or yes, and there's beautiful yellow gold aerospaces out oh, that there too, with yeah. gold bracelets that are like. I see that. I just think Miami Beach. You know, <laughs> don't button my shirt up. I'm just 
Got a little stogie <laughs> going. A little Rick Ross um, action. Exactly. But with the numbers on the Bratlands before, like, 2016 or so, it would be the model number, then a slash, and a slash would dictate whether it's on a bracelet sure. or something like that. And you could kind of figure out those sequences. But the great thing about Bratland, unlike many other brands like Patek Philippe and Panerai, is they just name their watches so you know what's mm-hmm. going on. That's true. You know what I mean? So there's a Chronomat, there's a Galactic, there's a not. So like you can kind of figure out, you don't need to memorize the most random numbers right. in the world. You know, it's like a... No, I, I can't use <laughs> names, you know? So, sure. Yeah, they, uh, they name each specific yeah, watch. I like that. So we got a little off track because it's funny. We praised George Kern and the new ownership, but then we started by kind of hammering them on the Nova Timer 8. And it's funny because I'm looking at pictures of it now. And what I thought about it then is still kind of what I think about now. It's like a cartoon drawing of a Nova Timer, right? So it's like a... Yes, that's like, a very great way of saying Yeah, that. and not in a bad way because it does have... An appeal to it. I'm specifically. I'm looking, and I think it was a, a, a special edition. It was a black dial with white sub dial, so like a reverse panda chronograph, which is a very handsome watch. And I think I like that watch out of all of them the best. But they they have the day date, which you know is not a chronograph at all. And, and the whole thing about the Navitimer, right, is like you said, it 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 uh, it paired navigation, so the slide rule, uh, the navigation with a timer. So Navitimer is a chronograph. So to name something. That is not doesn't doesn't even have a chronograph, a Navitimer, but not a chronograph or the slide rule. It just didn't make sense. So it, it seems like they like all right. Well, this bezel kind of looks like a Navitimer bezel, so we'll call these the Navitimer Eight. And I'm sure that they have a better reason for it, but I it, if I learned it, no, it didn't it didn't no, it didn't stick. So there's no reason. They'll make up something and say it corresponds with this year, right. or, but not sure. You, well, they have a lot that. of history, so. It's like making a Daytona, like calling something a Daytona, and it, it being a whole different watch. Right. You, you know, it's the same type of thing because it doesn't making it so long. And, like, there are pilots who have every Nava timer and actually fly with them. Yeah. And like, you, you don't need a slide rule, but, like, you still learn it when you do pilot school and stuff like that. So there's a little um, history. Yeah. But to get back on the newer stuff, um, now they have little Nava timers. They have the Nava timer 35, which right. is a time only. Well, which I it, think is that's a ladies' watch, though. So... Well, let's take a step back. So, like, so with the new ownership, they released the first release seemed like a flop, right? It didn't really sell great through retail. We see them now, and you know, Breitling's a brand that makes roughly what one hundred fifty thousand watches a year. So, you're never going to see them kind of sell out, right? You're never going to. There's not going to be waiting lists for these watches. Uh, You know, Rolex probably makes more watches, but the demand is so high for Rolex that that it doesn't really matter how many watches they make. But for a brand like Breitling that's been around for forever. You're not going to see waiting waiting list for these watches nowadays, which you know is it can be a uh, a determining factor in, in failure, but also in my opinion, you know it, it it shows a little bit more honesty, right? So it's you know they make probably a few more watches than, than they can sell, but that means you don't have to wait around for watches. You don't have to you don't have to you know beg somebody to spend your five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars like you do with Rolex, and that's one of the issues right now. Maybe not caused directly by Rolex, but indirectly by by the demand, and that's one of the issues that that people have with buying Rolexes. So Breitlings are readily available. Um, so they they created this Navitimer Eight. It didn't really it didn't really do much for anybody. Um, after that, uh, let me think here. It, what it was what was the next big release? I think that it wasn't until now, right? So I know that yeah, they, they started to that? play around with like. Um... Just different version of timers, like different um, airline versions. Okay. Some of those are pretty cool, but n- not new models mm-hmm. that I can think of besides an Navitimer. Yeah. So, uh, so, oh, okay, that's right. They have the, uh, what was this? I think they have a Swiss Air, if I'm right. And 
not a Pan Am. I, Pan Am just pops in my head. Right. They had a Swiss Air that looked pretty good. and um, Oh, they did. Okay, so they re-editioned the Super Ocean, um, which seems with these with those the map just like special editions of old watches but uh one watch that they that they released prior to this to this new you know the, the 2020 releases now was the top time and that's something that i've been t- talking about for a long time because when i look at vintage um vintage brightlings which there's a huge market for vintage brightlings and sequoias as well which there's a, there's you know brand history between them but uh you know there's a huge contingent of collectors for these vintage pieces so going back towards vintage pieces so getting away from like these super avengers and these huge chronomats and things like that you can i think they could do really really well by by pulling from the heritage uh, uh and specifically the top time which actually the top time the most famous one that people forget is was worn by Sean Connery and, and James Bond. It was a square case top time. Yeah. But the the top There's time a nice has gold one. Right. On exactly. EBay right now. Oh really? Is it? Uh, I wonder what it's going for. Well, I know that the James Bond one sold for like one hundred and forty thousand dollars, I believe, at auction, maybe more. Uh, but I remember reading something about that. And, and so there is history there, and there is demand for things like that. So the top time, the new top time, the, the Zorro that they uh, now they call it the Zorro. I think that watch is fantastic. I, I believe that if they expanded a top time um, uh, line, like kind of maybe contract uh, some of the lines, like similar to maybe the uh, the Transocean or uh, some of the Super Avengers and things like that, uh, and 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 focus more on heritage pieces such as the top time which i think is a great looking piece um i have the stats here for it. let me pull it up i believe uh let's see here top time so it's 41 millimeters 14 millimeters thick so it's not overly thick and it's a perfect size for the chronograph it has a vintage look which i mean for the last 10 years everyone like vintage look, uh, uh vintage editions of watches have been doing, doing very well that zora looks amazing yeah. and uh yeah, i love that dial 1960s look which is very in vogue now and uh i think that they could do unbelievably well with a whole line of top times uh, i think that could be you know that that they could pair that with the with the um navitimers and do unbelievably well and and that's one thing that you know i feel like the farther brightling gets away from chronographs the 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 more they kind of lose footing you know they they the super ocean was a watch that uh what was uh was edition i think in, like in the 40s 1940s or 50s or something like this yeah i have to look that great up but ones. yeah i mean they, they did great and that's and so that now the the new editions and we can get into that now uh the new editions of the the super oceans are okay but you know breitling is known for chronographs they they claim to have made the first you know wrist uh chronograph that mono pusher back in i mean they think i think they patented it uh in the 1800s yeah. but like we're selling it in the 1930s or whatever um, you know, after the war, during the war, they were um, selling wrist chronographs. So, you know, that's in their DNA. The chronograph is in their DNA. So the farther they get away from that, I feel like the more they lose their footing and, and they could do so well by, and a lot of brands could do it as well, whittling down their um, their product lines and just focusing on chronographs. They could be the chronograph company. I mean, what other company would you say is only is chronographs and only chronographs and has that in their DNA? It really doesn't exist. So they could, they could fill that niche. I, I mean, or expand the, the, on it at least. The, the Zenith, which is like the yeah, you know, El Primero, the, the, the best, yeah, the the best chronograph. But you're right, Bradlin is like 
one of the first ones to really actually make the chronograph and produce it. And of course, tag and like the, the, there's a project involved. But Bradley was was there. There, there. there was a few companies who was there at the beginning, but Bradley definitely invested themselves um, super heavily in it. And the chronographs um, look good. They work good. They're, they're beautiful pieces, especially the vintage ones. The newer ones are good. I think what happened with Bradley is um, they really sunk a lot of money into um, the BO1 movement. Right. And then there became this this big retail um, shift, right? Because when you think of Brightland, you got to kind of separate the phases. And the first phase is like when the Brightland family had it. And that's like vintage up until somewhere in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And then um, Mr. Snyder buys it and he's... Um, that was in the 70s. Because seventies, oh, uh, yeah, because that was the the end of the the, uh, the late seventies. Yes, you're right. Schneider, who's you know Sikora, bought the company in order to basically save it. Just basically bought the name and some of the uh, some of his equipment, but he liquidated everything after the Quartz Crisis destroyed Brightling. Yep, exactly. And the, the none of the family members wanted it as well. I think too. Right. Uh, and then so so Mr. Schneider is more like a you know into electronics, and I, I forgot exactly his background, but he's he's into microelectronics and things like that. So he invests, he's the one who pushed to get the aerospace um, made, which was a very, very big hit for them. And I will say like, you know, you're the first person like around my age who just wore it every day and showed me that you can wear that watch, but I've sold so many aerospaces. And I used to always be like, why would you buy this watch? Because you know, then I'm I'm loving a Super Avenger and I want some bling bling. Mm -hmm. And you know, everybody's buying an aerospace and you could always like you could always count on an aerospace sale. It's like if if they look at it twice, they're selling it. The price was good. It's a it's a little tank. It does so much things, and many people who are pilots actually buy that and use it. And very that's useful watch, to Breitling. Oh yeah, yeah. It's very very useful. Very useful watch. You know they expanded that. They have what the Exospace. They have the B fifty five, and uh, I mean, and then obviously they went towards the uh, with the emergency, which is not a watch I'd buy, but you know it's apparently saved about a dozen lives. So. You know, there's some merit More there, but uh, yeah, well, I don't know. It's, when I when I was doing my research earlier, I think I found like about roughly a dozen uh, confirmed uh, uh, the, you know rescues. But um, but yeah, the aerospace is I feel like for a few different reasons, it's ultra wearable, right? Because it's it's very it's a very thin watch, but it's not so thin that it's like dress thin. It's like the perfect thickness. Yeah, it, it's also it's very light. Right, it's very light, and on the price point, what is the retails on it? It's probably right around four thousand or so. You can yeah. find pre-owned for about half of that. There's so many of them, and you can find them in 41s, 42s, now they're 43s. So there's and there's a different color combination. Like mine is is the white dial, which is actually, depending on the time of year, it seems like you know they dry up online pre-owned. So the price fluctuates in terms of value, but it's you know it's a watch that you buy and you're never going to trade it because it's not like it's ever going to be worth more than what you paid. Essentially, it's probably going to be worth about what you paid. If you buy it at retail, obviously less. So there's not going to be a huge pressure to sell that watch, and that's one thing that is. It's a, I believe is an issue nowadays is that you buy a watch and I've talked to guys so like I bought a watch like for example I had some customers who bought paddocks and they bought them you know uh, a couple of years ago and they're like hey listen I can't wear this watch anymore because I paid twenty grand for it and now it's worth fifty mm-hmm. and like I don't feel comfortable wearing a fifty thousand dollar watch he said twenty thousand was even hard enough to to get you know to get over that hump to feel comfortable wearing a twenty thousand dollar watch a fifty thousand dollar watch. He said it's impossible for him to wear so now he has to trade the watch and of course you know boo hoo okay now you made thirty thousand dollars but. You know, realistically, that's if that's not your business, you know, you bought these watches to wear, it's it certainly is an issue. With Breitling, exactly. you know, that's the upside of the watch not, you know, those watches not being in super high demand and, you know, being readily available is that 
you don't have to worry about you know the watch it just you know uh, becoming unwearable based on price point. Uh, so that's so that's the other thing too. You know, it's, you, you buy the watch, you wear it because you love it. You're not going to have a lot of guys out there treating uh, Breitlings like Bitcoin uh, the way you see guys buying Rolexes and Paddocks and APs and things like that. So you know, it's the other side of the coin. Um, but yeah, so so Breitling Breitling released that top time, and I think it's a home run. Um, I think it was a limited edition. Uh, I haven't seen too many of them trade. I would love that watch. No, yeah, no, it's a really good piece. Um, so, so the they're doing some things really so right here, and one of the best things is a price point. Mm-hmm. It's like five thousand dollars. Yeah, forty nine ninety is is the retail. Exactly. It, and it's insane. And it's because they didn't put the BO one movement. The BO one movement bumps everything up to like you know the the nine inch range. Even though it's interesting that Tudor has it and you know has it at five five. It's it's like a weird thing there with the, with them and the BO one right. movement. And I remember um, so like as a Brightland dealer, when when you deal with these brands on a retail side that have all these SKUs, you have this thing of like when you want to buy watches, you gotta end you, you end up. Well, you need you need X amount of chronomats and X amount of navitimers, okay. and that was one of the things that like they they always wanted to give you a case full of chronomats um, because they just had all these movements and they were really nice watches. Price point was a little a, a little aggressive, I felt like, but I sold a lot and we even though we're in the Caribbean, we didn't discount them much at all. Wow, and people bought them and I've sold steel, two tone, solid gold, diamonds all over. Very close to retail, and like you know, the Brightland Boutique there does very well. That's um, great. But then they do super, super well as soon as you go under five thousand. Oh yeah, like insane. Like 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 I'm telling you, like, well, there's a lot of value there. I feel like because now you're competing so with. So okay, if you're gonna spend so for this watch, I, I found out there's there's so there's two thousand pieces of the of the top time Zorro that were made, right? And I'm hoping again they'll they'll make they'll create some regular editions maybe without this without the Zorro dial or something that because I think they'll sell very well. Maybe they even drop the price five hundred dollars because it's not a special edition. They'll even do better. But at forty nine ninety, now you're competing with the the likes of like the Tudors, the and the Tag Hoyers, and I think they could hold water against there. I mean when Breitling and you know you'll talk to a guy like jo- uh, like George Mayer when you know 2008 or so 2007 2008 when he was selling uh, when he started selling watches Breitlings were were the watch to buy right there's waiting lists for the Super Avengers and things like that uh, but they were going up against Rolex so nowadays it's not even it's not it doesn't even make sense so they have to they can't try to compare or on price point or on value with a brand like Rolex because Rolex has has gained so much market share and demand. So Breitling seems like smartly is making watches a little bit to, to uh, down market as opposed to up market. And I think that this is a fantastic play for them. So whether they did this on purpose or by accident, either way, it makes sense. Because if I'm if I'm at a multi-band brand boutique and I see Tag Heuer Carrera, whatever, 4500 $4, $4, $4, $4, $4, $4, $4, $4, bucks, um, a, uh, um, a Tudor Black Bay Chrono, Roughly the same price point, I think six thousand or so, maybe a little bit less, or a watch like this, uh, a top time chronograph, a top time uh, the Zorro chronograph. I mean, it I don't think I think it's a no brainer. Oh yeah, without a doubt, I'm buying this watch, and, and the price point seems good. That I'm not even I'm not even going to really negotiate at forty nine ninety. You know, especially with two thousand pieces, it seems like there's certainly going to be more demand. So that's a watch that'll probably end up holding value, and that's something we'll we'll talk about on the next watch that we talk about too. Because I think that there's you might see the first Breitling that goes over retail in I don't know how many years, 10, 15 years. Uh, but 
but yeah, so this this watch I think is a home run for them. I hope they expand it because it's a handsome watch. Sits well on the wrist. Um, I've heard nothing but good things, and people who love or hate Breitling, they can't say anything negative about this watch. No, it's a beautiful watch, and it. the one thing I love about Breitling is they're independent, and no matter what, right. the ups and downs, they're able to pivot very quick, right? These, I always say, like, the big brands are like big cruise ships, and it takes them a really long time, especially when you're in a group, to really turn. Mm-hmm. Breitling... It, either it's a win or a loss, man. Either it's a win and we keep going, or it's a loss and you know we we, we cut. Like the, Cafe, yeah. the greatest example is the new Super Ocean that came out, and it came out with this uh, Super Ocean Heritage Fifty Seven. Right. Really interesting watch. Um, ceramic bezel that's kind of concave. It kind of dips in. Yeah. Interesting watch. And then they had this rainbow dial. I remember seeing it, and I just tossed my phone. Across mm-hmm. the room, like here we go. Come you on, you couldn't just you know you couldn't just make a nice regular watch. You had to do something where it made it in two hundred and fifty pieces, sold out immediately, and now they're doing a two thousand piece run, um, uh, for the national health, um, right? N H S. Yeah, I don't know what the S is for in the U K to help out um, medical workers, national health service yeah. to help out. Um, to support medical workers over there, and I think they'll sell it, you know, as well. So that's to show you. But like, so is that one going to be rainbow also? Yes, but it'll be a blue dial. The oh, okay, I did see black. that blue rainbow. Okay, exactly. The original will be black with the rainbow, which I think is a little bit sharper because I'm looking at like real life pictures right now. Oh yeah, really good. Um, and then the blue would be the blue of the rainbow will be two thousand pieces. I think it sells out. The price point isn't crazy. It's a nice, unique watch. The you know, it, it looks good. Uh, it's just rainbow, and you're like, I, I don't know if I hated the fact that it was rainbow or just like, just why? It was a question of it's like, why do we need a rainbow? But hey, look, it works, and they just ran up the, you know, they ran the ran the, the points up. Well, so it's funny you said that because that's literally the watch I was talking about. The 250 piece black dial rainbow is a watch that, like you said, sold out. Uh, I mean, so the new 57 at first glance, I thought. What a joke. They made a huge mistake. But similar to, you know, how some of the new watch releases have been, even from Longa with the uh, with their Steel Sport watch, you know, that was my first take. But it, if I look a little bit longer and, and really do some thinking on it and, and look at, you know, the watch on people's wrists and whatnot, I think I'm coming around to it. So a couple things about that watch, right? So it's, a, it's the 1957 edition. This was an edition that was literally released in 1957 with this style of concave bezel. Uh, this watch is, it's a, uh, I believe it's a 41 millimeter and mm-hmm. it's only 10 millimeters thick. So that's one thing that I, that I really like that a lot of these brands are slimming down their watches because they realize people don't want these huge, um, like clunky watches on their wrists. So whether it be Rolex, you know, redesigning the, the case and bracelet for the 44 millimeter deep sea or Panerai, you know, uh, releasing watches with much slimmer profiles, you know, less than 15 millimeters thick. Uh, I think that they did a great job with this watch as well because of that. And, you know, the, it does have like a like what looks like a dinner plate, you know, style case and and, uh, and bezel. That is a little off-putting at first in, in the pictures. And I think uh, getting a straight on like the, the, the promo pictures for this watch were did did it a big dis, uh, disservice? Uh, yeah, and you need live pictures to, to see live pictures and video, video. So I watched, I watched a few YouTube videos. It was George Kern was actually on a video with someone 
uh, you know, talking about these new releases and showed the watch on the wrist. And, and I'm like, okay, all right, this is much more reasonable. This is a watch that I can get behind. I'd like to get my hands on this watch. So, so, but doing that, that rainbow edition in only 250, I think did a, they did fantastic because, you know, there's brands like Omega that make, you know, they'll make, you know, a thousand and seven or whatever, some bond version or 7,000 or whatever it may be, you know, it's a, a limited edition and it's not really that limited. You know, that, that's, that's a watch that any, almost anybody can get their hands on 250 yeah, pieces. Right. Like I think there's any, any brand who makes 250 pieces of watch is going to be able to sell those, sell those out at retail. And that's going to be, that's good for the brand. So I can see that watch being the the uh, first watch in I don't know how many years, certainly since I've been selling watches, but probably well before that, first Breitling to go well over retail. And I think that, because it was only about a 40, well, so all the retails of these uh, these new 57 Super Oceans are in the 4,000 range. On the bracelet, I think it's in the high fours. On, on that NATO strap, I think it's like 42 or 43. So they, it, the price point is, is, again, in that Tag Heuer, Tudor, um, you know, maybe Longines, they're, but they're outclassing all those brands. Exactly. The quality for what you get um, from a Bradlin is like the tagline is instrument for professionals. And this right. is like a little bit of my, my Bradlin Kool-Aid hair. Uh -huh. but like they really do mean that, you know, double um, anti-reflective coating on both sides of the crystals. Oh, yeah. Surgical grade steel. Um, they make a nice watch. And in the same way that a lot of people... You know, you try to knock Rolex. I remember when I started my career, I didn't sell Rolex, so I had to find ways to overcome Rolex. I worked right next to a Rolex boutique. <laughs> really? So I've lost many sales to Submariner. I've lost many sales to, to I'll just go get the day date. Man, you know, I've, I've done that many, many times. Mm -hmm. um, but the one thing you can say about Rolex is it'll make a nice, solid, good-looking watch. And this is what uh, Bratlin does. You know, hand-applied numerals. Um, everything's tested well. The cases are beautiful. The ceramics are good. So once it's, you know, once the design is okay, the watch is going to look great. And I think this is a great example of, like, a watch. That, the, the, the pictures really didn't do it uh, service. Even the pictures on the website don't really explain the depth yeah. of the watch. And I, and I think the depth is just so, like, unique and nice. I, I can't wait till we get one. And I don't know, you know, maybe probably um, holiday season we'll start getting some trades on them. Yeah. Or, I mean, we'll, we're, obviously we're a Breitling dealer through uh, uh, Gabbard Jewelers, so we should ho hopefully oh, see these in the case. Eventually, once things open back up, we can go downtown and check them out in the case. If I fly into Philly, I'd like to check it out. Um, you know, I mean, it's just... <laughs> Yeah, I think the marketing on these is it was absolutely terrible, and I had to see it in a video to really, really understand it uh, and get a better feel for it. And so I'm really excited for that. You know, it has a real vintage look and feel to it. And and again, my first inclination I think was wrong. And uh, you know, giving it a second try, a second chance, and a second look uh, allowed me to start appreciating this watch. And and I'd love to see this in person. Um, yeah, so I, I think it looks good. Yeah, it's it's interesting to say the least. So the last uh, or the, the the next release that they that they had this year just a few weeks ago was this the new Chronomat forty two, and uh, when I heard George Kern talking about this, you know they he said that he goes they they wanted to go back to the early nineteen uh, eighties or mid nineteen eighties uh, Chronomats the ones with the with the bullet bra uh, bracelets or or you know, really it's called a reload bracelet but you know we call them bullet bracelets because it looks like they're you know as bullet casings. Uh, down the bracelet, but uh, so they they release it with a new bullet bracelet, for, uh, bullet bracelet, uh, forty two millimeters across the board. Um, they're only going to be on bracelets. They will not be releasing that watch on on a rubber strap or 
a leather strap from from oh, what really? I heard from Kern. This is what that. Kern said. So I took it as that's what he meant. So he goes, he goes, this is a stainless steel watch. There's only a metal watch, and you're only going to see it on this bracelet. So uh, we'll have to see when they come in stock, you know, if they actually you know, are able to swap out uh, straps and bracelets. Because honestly, like anybody who buys that watch is going to also want to be able to swap. That's the thing about yeah, Breitling. You can, right. But uh, if, if that's what he meant, that's a real interesting point if they're going to start sticking to that. Because that that's always been... It, it, I don't know if I don't know if I if I like the fact that all every Breitling really when you buy it and people may not know you're buying the uh, when you, you're buying the the head of the watch and then you select your strap or well, bracelet. So so now it's swapped. So so th- this is the the one thing where it's kind of polarized the Breitling community is that used to be the case for many many years mm-hmm. is you'd buy the head and you'd say hey well I wanted a steel bracelet or a strap or whatever and. If you're a Breitling dealer, you know, for every watch you had, you would like to have two or three strap yep. variations so that it can customize and they would Breitling would sell you everything kind of separate. Now everything's one uh skew. So oh. the bracelet and the heads attached. Yeah. So it, So when it, so where was this? This had to be around like 2018. Oh, uh, we we forgot one watch, Breitling Premier, which I think came around like 2017, 2018. Yeah. And I think for Breitling, they wanted to like slim down what was going on and, and the skews a little bit, but have the fun of buying a Breitling is being able to like, so many people I would sell the watch to and they'd, okay, give me two different straps or three different straps and you get your variety there. People like that, that mix and match. So this is a, this is only an awkward feeling because they didn't used to do it in the past. So when you get comfortable with being able to go and switch things out, now you have to pay extra if you want something. It just kind of, I wish they get back to that because that was that was kind of fun, you know. Like you just you know you can see I easily would, call up. I see. I disagree with that. I think I like the idea that you know if I'm going to be designing a watch, uh, I want to design it in a way. Just it's so. Thing about Swiss watches is, in my opinion, it's you know the create the engineering and the creativity that goes into it. It's it's an art form, right? Because these aren't as as <laughs> as much as they are tools for professionals. You know, an Apple Watch or some sort of digital watch, a Sunto or something is going to be a better watch, a better, you know, instrument for you to use realistically, right? So these are these are bought for luxury and uh, as a hobby. So uh, in that sense, you know, a, uh, if you go buy a piece of art, mm-hmm. the, the artist is not going to say, well, what color paint do you want me to use? Or, no, he's going to do something in his image. So... Uh, choosing or designing a watch on a certain type of bracelet, I think... That is something that should be done by the designers, by the engineers in house, and they should present it that way. And if if a if somebody wants to go and change it themselves, that's one thing. But just to leave it out there for people to, to decide themselves, in my opinion, was a mistake. So I'm actually glad to hear that, and I, I guess I missed that part in our training, in our Breitling training, that they that they are now all the SKUs actually come with specific bracelets because I think that's that's the way it should be. Even even a brand like Panerai. You know, you can swap out the straps however you like, but every reference is has been picked to be, uh, you know, uh, delivered with a with a certain strap, rubber and leather, or you know, so on and whatnot. But this is true. Yeah. But, so that's so I like that idea, and that was one of the issues that I had, and why I liked the fact that when I heard Kern say that again, I haven't confirmed that uh, that the watch will not be available uh, on a leather or rubber, but that seemed like what he, it was what he said that it's going to be only on a, on a metal bracelet. And you know, I like that idea that they're they're saying, listen, this is part of the heritage. This is how we're delivering the watch. You know, maybe you can 
swap it out if you like, but it's not something where we're just going to leave it up to you uh, from the beginning. You know, this is how we deliver the watch, and you can customize it however you like. Uh, one thing he did say is that they are allowing you to customize the um, uh, with the plots on the dial, so or on the bezel. Oh. So there's a little screw. And he said that this was a this is a uh, like uh, a throwback to the original. Apparently, I didn't realize this either. You could take a screwdriver, and I know that there are screws on the sides uh, on the on the on the bezel of the original, the 80s version, but you can take a screwdriver and move the plots to suit your needs in terms of count up, count down, and things like that, which it's kind of funny. It's kind of interesting. I guess it adds another dimension. Uh, there probably are guys who are going to want to do that, but it also... Yeah, most guys didn't, but like it's, it's cool to look. I didn't think... Because you always looked at it and see, like, I bet I can take a screwdriver, but it's yeah, interesting yeah. to know that that is the purpose. Yeah, so this is what Kern said himself. So that was interesting, though. I, I you know... In my mind, I'm thinking, okay, well, this is a good way for these things to fall off, too, right? So, you know, (laughs) I take a screwdriver to it, I don't tighten it all the way, or I don't use Loctite or something, and now I lost a little plot on my uh, on my bezel. So, so that's an interesting uh, that was an interesting addition to the watch. But in terms of this bullet bracelet, like, what are your what are your feelings or thoughts? Have have you seen the videos of this of the new style bullet bracelet that they brought back? So I haven't seen videos of it. Uh, I do. I like how it looks. Um, the one thing with the bullet bracelet is um, sizing it. You, it. It brings back nightmares of trying okay. to size this. It, you know, when I started my career, I never even touched it. The hardest thing I had was a Navitimer bracelet, which is already tough. You know, a, a, a panic attack inducing sight. Yeah. So these things. Yeah, Brightling bracelets oh, are not easy know. to size. They, they, you know, they'll have four or five links across, I, going across, and having to set them. Yeah, that's always been tough. I, I, I used to make them living. Sizing bright bracelets for people, you have to give me $25 or 25% of your sale and <laughs> size of Brightland. Like, because it was so hard. And oh, yeah. You were like, oh my, you got a Brightland seven link Navitimer bracelet. Like, I, I, I bought somebody lunch one time because, like, listen, it's going to take me an hour to size this bracelet. So enjoy lunch on me because, like, I can't deal with the pressure of you waiting. Oh, yeah. Because this thing is, is a. It's not user friendly. No, not at all. No. Um, so, not like a Rolex. I, I no, no, not not at all. Like it, it's no. Um, so, but so, how did they? How did you size a a bullet bracelet? I've never done that, or the reload bracelet. So, so the bullet bracelet is is pins. I, I have never really done it to be honest. Like pin and sleeve, or, or tension pin, or what? Yeah, yeah, like like I think it's a pin and a sleeve oh. on the lower ends. So that's yeah, no, that's always my end. issue because I I always lose the sleeves and it, it's like. That's the worst little thing. You have these tiny little sleeves. So something that you're going to have to probably take to your local jeweler to do under, you know, with a loop and whatnot. That's that's a little disappointing. I, I wish it maybe the, the pin and sleeve is probably the most secure way to do it, to be honest. Uh, but using the screws just makes so much more sense. It's easy to do yourself. And, you know, you have a little bit of Loctite. You could always keep them. You can keep your uh, the screws in. And if you mangle a screw, you can always try to order a new one or whatnot. Whereas the, the pin and sleeve is, they're so easy to lose, you know? Yeah. And then it becomes like, you, you know, you call customer service for like a pin and <laughs> depending on the brand, they're going to charge you everything. So I, I, I'm hoping that these newer ones are probably screws or like a better system. Sure. You know, like if you brought back this bracelet, you've had to, I, I can't imagine like have the reason this bracelet went away is one styles updated a little bit. Oh yeah. But all the dealers probably complain like we're just breaking links left and right here. <laughs> you know, like, it's a it's a massacre of pins and like you know everybody's crying. I'm sure like that had a little bit of uh, effect and they went over to the professional bracelet there. Uh, so right. I'm hoping 
that these would be easier to um to as they look good. They look good. There's a nice taper to them. Yeah. Uh, the buttons look a little bit different. I. Uh, the price point is, is just it just I wish it wasn't so expensive. Eighty one hundred. Twelve thousand. Oh. Yeah, eighty one hundred for seal, twelve thousand one hundred for a two tone, and like it doesn't give me the same oomph of like um a regular Chronomato one two tone, which is closer to thirteen, mm -hmm. but just felt like a nice solid. I got you know, big chunks of gold there. It, it, it's it's all right. Watch. I think the blue the blue I like and the how do you feel about the copper black? The copper, the copper dial I think is is really cool. I, I mean, so I I'm gonna disagree with you on this as well. I think that um. Eighty-one hundred dollars uh, list price is not a terrible list price for for an in-house chronograph. Uh, you know, from a brand like this, it's it's you know that's going to be one of their more expensive pieces, right? But it's not going to. I don't think it, it, if this was if it started like at eleven or something, that would be absurd. Eighty-one hundred, and you know, you, you might be able to get a discount. I don't know. Depends on your local dealer. So, but you know, a, a max out of eighty-one hundred is not a bad idea. It's not a bad deal. I think the watch is very wearable. I think at 42 millimeters, they're going to do actually very well for it with it because you know the old 44s and 46s were were massive, kind of unwearable. They were they were good looking watches, but as soon as you put it on the wrist, you're like, oh, well, I can't, what am I going to do with this? This thing's ridiculous. Yeah, and then the you talk about oh yeah, the 47s are ridiculous. But it, you talk about changing the links on those too. That that was also a nightmare. So I I, I have to see. Well, once I go to Philly, once once these get delivered, I'll, I'll make another trip to Philly. I'll go downtown and check them out. Um, on the strap, they look really nice. That's uh, I, I, certainly a watch that I can see uh, owning in my collection or having for for a bit. Um, the the bullet bracelet was never my favorite. I did my initial thoughts were not uh, favorable towards it, but again, watching the video and seeing the way that it articulates. So one thing, take it back to Rolex. Um, you know the the Jubilee bracelet is not as popular in terms of looks for men, but it is so much more comfortable than a mm -hmm. than an oyster bracelet i think in the same same vein this bullet bracelet you so nice oh my lord so like the smaller links you have the more comfortable the, uh, the bracelet is so i can see this bracelet being unbelievably comfortable and, and i can also see guys who maybe owned brightlings in the 80s going looking at this watch in, in a an nostalgic manner and, and wanting to to you know put it on their wrist and and you know we'll see how it does on the market uh, you know, in-house movement, chrono, 42 millimeters, only 14 millimeters thick as well. So again, they thinned it out, flattened it out. The lugs don't, the lugs are straight. They're not curved, which is, uh, I think is really important too. So it's going to be super comfortable on the wrist and, and that's going to be a huge deal, right? So, you know, there's a few factors in, in, in market, uh, a resale market on a watch. And one of them is going to be definitely going to be, you know, is the watch comfortable and wearable because people are going to be less opt to want to sell out of the watch if it feels good on the wrist. Exactly. I, I think I'm looking at that video too, and it, it did a great job on the bracelet. I think I think it fits good. It's smooth. I think the thinner profile, I do love that they're getting thin, which is a big effort they made because they were they, they were chunky, and it's amazing to think, like, I used to love a good Super Ocean, <laughs> a Super Avenger, you know, in 48 millimeter. I used to love all the big stuff. But um, to see them get a little bit thinner, and this just looks like, I, I think the bracelet hugs you really well with the straight lugs, and I think it gives you a nice fit there. It does look like it, it is pins are probably a little bit more secure there. It's going to be, um, I just, the price point thing is just, I guess you're right. It's an in-house chronograph, and it's well well made. 8000 is a bad number. It's just that 
it, you know, darn it, I'm in the pre-owned watch industry, so right. like, I, I look yeah. at the values. Maybe like, 6,600 or something like that. Maybe the watch is more of a home run, but uh, uh, 8,000, exactly. 8,100 is not, it doesn't seem absurd. It just, maybe it's a little high. I would say if I was still selling Brightland at retail, I would be able to sell these pretty easy without discount. They have a really good look to them, and mm-hmm. I, I I could see that if I was in, in you know, just doing straight retail, like these are... A really good. I just like the way they did the pushers. They're having fun, you know, and that's what I like about Brown. They're still, you know, they're having fun. And let's see what happens here. We brought back the bullet bracelet, and I think I think these actually do um, better than um, than we 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 can uh, like think about it. Sure. So one of the things that looks like we missed because I'm looking at their the way, the Brown website is it, it was a, a release that was made uh, public. What I, I can't remember when this when the release was made, but the Aviator 8 edition, so this was uh, a re-edition of the old Aviators. It's It looks a lot like a Brigade Chrono. Um, it looks like they had yeah. three different versions. They had a steel version. The fit, These are 1953 re-editions, which, again, I think this this is a, the right way for Brightling to go, is to look at their heritage and, and re-edition or, or bring back pieces that were... You know, people look back on fondly. So they have a platinum edition for forty grand. It's very limited. They have a steel a steel edition for eighty six, which, again, you know, it's the eight thousand dollar chronograph. It, it is I'll pay eighty six for this. You, you know, it's weird, but like, I like this kind of like. Uh huh. I, I I don't know. Maybe I'm just. This just looks more a little bit more. There's a little more zing. There's a little bit more zing, yeah design elements, and then twenty two eight for for the rose gold edition, also limited. But all, all three of those are limited. So that's these are pieces that we like to see. The premieres was, you know, that was one thing that I, I wasn't loving with their new editions. Um, the premieres, you know, the the premiere wasn't the best. It, it, it you know, again, the, this was a re-edition of a... Uh, the the uh, original of a, is very, very nice. And if you can find yourself um, a Brightland premiere, like they're still made in like uh, the late 90s and stuff like that. Really nice, not the biggest watch, but like very well done dress right. watch, but thick from uh, Brightland. It was really nice. Well, so you see like the Premiere, which is limited edition. You can buy this on the website. It seems like it's available. Uh, but again, BO1 chronograph, so it's going to be basically double the price of the uh, the Top Time, which is not the in-house movement. And I think the Top Time is is, is an infinitely better watch, uh, aesthetically at least. And, and on the wrist, you know, it's got the pump pushers, which are... Which seems like they're they're uh, more popular nowadays, and and uh, you know it's it seems like that's a better watch across the board. Yeah, it definitely went from like um, trying to make pushers that are like almost ingrained into the case back to like the top hat thing. I think you know it's always good to mention when we talk about like the price difference between in house Brightlin and um, not fully in house is like the reason they really had to go in house, which is why it's not. All their fault is because Edda be, uh, Swatch Group began to pull back Edda movements, and Edda, you know, made the the big proclamation that they're not gonna supply movements to everybody, um, and they pull back, which is weird because you fast forward to now, and uh, I, they have too much movements and they can't sell because everybody's doing in house. Right. Uh, so Brentland spent all this money, R and D, dollars, R and D, because if you know it's a chronograph, there's so many other chronograph, and and for it to be in house, it has to be all yours, you know. Uh, you know, a few of us remember when Tag Heuer, uh, I forgot the caliber, but Tag Heuer released a, a chronograph and they were 
calling it in-house, but it was really, um, was it a Seiko base, I think? And that was like a big right, scandal. Yeah. And, you know, Vermont had its issue as well um, doing that. But Brightland did it the right way. But then you get a chronograph that's 9,000 and you're like, oh, it's just a, a tough number because you think of so many other you know, you start to, well, if I add three more thousand, I can go to a different brand and things like that. Oh, yeah. But it is a, a ripple um, of the splash that was made when Swatch Group was like, hey, we're going to just take out um, supply and movements to just anybody. At Brightland, most of Brightland movements were at a, um, up to that point. And that really, that's when you saw the pivot. And um, it's just a big, because, like, why would I, that top time at, at, at right under 5,000 is such a good price. I really don't care whether it's in-house Brightland movement or really good, um, you know, at a modified movement with their stuff. You know what I mean? I'm not right. Well, I, I don't. You know, the thing so- is, like this. This is always my philosophy for watches, spec- tool watches. Why do I care how uh, who designed the movement or how well finished it is? I want something that's going to work. So, for example, like a Rolex. Rolex is in-house, but not really. They just bought the manufacturer that was making their their movements for a long time, right? But they're not like they. They do technical upgrades over the years, and they'll and they'll put a new movement with a longer power reserve or something. But they never talk about you know oh you know v- uh, you know well finished bridges or anything like that, right? So why do I really care about an in house movement for for a tool watch, for a dress watch, for a watch like a Paddock, or getting a boutique watch like a Jorn or a Longa? Yeah, of course. Uh, if if Longa was using you know <laughs> ETA based movements, well that's an issue. You know, why am I spending $50,000 for a watch like that? But, you know, the way I... the best finish at a movement. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh, Hand finish at a movement. But, well, like, so a a brand like like Resence that they say, all right, we're going to take at a movements, but we're going to engineer them to create amazing uh, dial configuration that you won't see anywhere else. Like, that's the kind of stuff that I like if you're going to, if instead of going in-house, or like, we're going to, allow these ETA movements to do something that that uh, that they've never done before. Uh, but ETA movements have been around forever, and they, they're highly serviceable. So, like, I honestly, besides some of the new pieces and the way they fit, like for Panerai, I, I, I prefer an ETA-based Panerai because I know that the servicing cost is going to be cheaper and the parts are going to be easy to get. Um, though, you know, I say that, but I have – let me think how – I think almost all my – all my Panerais are now uh, in-house movements, except for my 002 and my 380. But, uh, but well, you know, I always tend to go towards, especially for a tool watch. A watch you're going to wear every day. That's not that you don't really care so much about the level of finishing or power reserve or things like that. You know, a, a, a basic workhouse workhorse movement is is preferable in my opinion, especially I, with, pr- with price points being lower. Yeah, you know, at a good uh, value, seventy seven fifty, never hurt anybody, Ooh. and like it's a tank, and you can do whatever you want. Anybody and their sister can fix it. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? You don't have to no specialty parts or something like that. And it, it's just it, it's a it, it's a tough thing. I, I really feel like a lot of brands got got into that fight. That like in house in house movement. I I did this in house, uh, you know, and it's like well. Never in a Brighton sale that I need to use in house. It, it right. has helped, you know. Of course, with the Command One and seventy-two hour power reserve, and um, you know, really easy date changes system. And it was really well made. Um, chronograph, Conwell as well, I, I believe, maybe not. Um, but it, it still wasn't necessary. 
You know what I mean? It's the same thing with Omegas. Omegas had a big price jump, and, and with certain models, it's just not not really necessary. And everybody got into this fight. I do think Eda spoke the 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 Beehive and said we're not gonna give um, movements to anybody. So everybody invested. And same thing with Panerai. They just you know in-house movements with all their models. Is it really needed? No, you know. Panerai is an interesting thing because there was a time where every Panerai was over premium. You know, you remember right. those days where, oh, yeah. you know, uh, screw a uh, 5711, you know, give me a Brownsville, you know or, what I mean? Give or me a Pam 203 for 100 grand. You know, exactly. You know, give me give me something crazy. You is that, That's so funny to think about. Yeah, man. That, that was, is so funny to think about. Those are recent history. Like lo- yeah, you know, that's like four years ago, like 5711. Uh, eh, more like nice six watch. or seven. Yeah, you know. But uh, it was it's crazy, um, oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, the the in house movement versus just a nice solid movement that you modify a little bit, put your work in, finish it, modify it a little bit, put your juice on it, put your special Big Mac sauce on it, make it nice. But no reason to go full Monty in house because you do create that situation, and then the circle, like what I was talking about, is like when you go to a dealer, you're like, well, I need you to take thirty, you know, or one movement, and it's like, well, you know what really sells. Super Ocean, Super Ocean Heritage, um, uh, Super Avengers, all the Avenger lines. They had a, a beautiful, uh, if you type in Galactic Day Date, it was a 44 millimeter Day Date. They only made it for like one or two years, and it was such an awesome tool watch, again, under 5,000. Um, uh, so the, the, they they just kind of pivoted, um, pivoted around there, and I just, I don't know, I, I really love the brand, and I think the one thing that hurts is, is price point, but I do understand as well, um, you spend so much money, but then you go on the flip side. Well, they they supply Tudor with in-house chronograph. That's movements, right. Yeah. And the, the the Tudor chronograph is like like under six. So yeah. it just uh, yeah, it doesn't make that sense. That was always to me. a weird move. It's like well, it's the same well, movement. Get a tu- it's the same exact movement. And the name right now, once since Tudor's relaunch, is actually probably carries a little bit more weight in terms of uh, of uh, you know uh, market price. It, it, exactly, and I always thought that that was an interesting deal because Brightland did get the in-house movement, right? So I never had an in-house movement. It's like, hey, in-house movement from Tudor, which is still not you know in-house. Um, but then they give them the chronograph, but then the price of chronograph so low that it immediately devalues your your you know what you're selling. But they never address it. They just keep running the ship how it's going. But I think that. Is something as well. A Tudor definitely won that deal, yeah. and that's to show you pretty much how much like Chronomat One movements they probably kept making. That it was just like, listen, you know, we'll just make something work. I don't know. I hope hope one day that it settles down. The one good thing about Bratlin being that it's independent, it can just change. They change their mind very yeah, nicely. Change direction. Very, exactly. They're not they're not afraid to experiment. So I think they'll they'll survive. And I I, ha- I have hope. This is one of the brands that I have. I cheer for a lot. I have a lot of hope for because they're not. There's not too much red tape around them, and you know sometimes there does, but sometimes you know you got a rainbow dial, super ocean heritage. <laughs> you know there was a guy like in a design room, like yo, this is gonna be the best watch, and everybody's like, no, this, like why are we doing this watch? Why are we doing this watch? And now like when he walks around, you know, chest just high. He's like I told you guys, yeah, rainbow dial, baby. <laughs> Well, we'll see how it does on the market. Oh, let me see if there's any for sale. Last thing we do, let's see here. I'm going to look on eBay. 
Brightling. That'd be interesting. Super Ocean Rainbow. They have had some like. Have they delivered um, any of these yet? I assume not. No, I nothing's think they on have eBay. Started, um, because they are a good like they're set up to do online sales, and I believe that you could buy, and they probably will be shipping well, shortly. Not on eBay, not on Chrono Twenty Four. So that's usually a good sign, meaning that it, it, they're not easy. Like like dealers and resellers have not got their hands on them yet. There's only 250 pieces. I'm sure some of the buyers will flip them and then we'll, they'll end up on online and maybe we'll see them listed for seven, $8,000 and that'll be interesting. Maybe it'll be like a a, uh, a Snoopy situation or make a Snoopy situation where the watch actually ends up becoming very valuable. But I don't yeah. know. Something to be se- seen. Was, uh, you yeah, saw Snoopy? You never know, man. Yeah, I saw Snoopy. Um, Is it a $30,000 uh, watch now? It's so insane, man. Oh, like, God. I could just cry and just like, I could have had it for like, I don't know, 56. Oh, I remember. Like, uh, I just like... When you were in the Bahamas, again, right? Or in Alaska? I, 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 yeah, no, in, in the islands, because we're, again, we're a very big, like, multi-brand dealer there, right? So we have Omega Boutique as well. We have, like, Omega Boutique, Pata Boutique, uh, all, all these uh, boutiques, even Chopard. So anyways, we could... I could get the Snoopy. Mm-hmm. And, like, somebody was like, hey, one of my good friends, um, good collector, is always like, it's going to be too small for you. And like that's when they were making the they started to make the bigger Speedmasters, and I was like, oh, I thought it was gonna be in the larger case. The forty four. And then I was like, no, it's in the yeah, the forty four is no, it's in the smaller one. So 42. I was like, oh, you're right. I'll just wait till they arrive because usually we're like a big, you know, you know, we order like a thousand SKUs. We're, we're that type of thing, you know. We have that many stores in the chain, so I'm like, all right, we'll be able to get. We'll have at least twenty or thirty of these Snoopies. We'll be able to. I'll be able to see it and get it. They nope. announce it, they, they release it, sells out immediately. I go upstairs, I'm like, hey, I'd love to wear this because, like, we did get one that we could see. And I go to my guy, Chris, who's a buyer, and he was like, Psh. that was the sound. Just, Psh. Was like, <laughs> the, 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 the air out of my hope balloon just deflated. And it's a sound that he made. Uh, and it's like long gone. And I'm like, all right, one of these days, because I, I, I was already working with uh, Watch You Want, Watchbox back then. So I'm like, Listen, you know, when I when I go back or, you know, I'll make a call to Josh or one of the guys, well, I'll get one seven-ish. You know, I'll <laughs> I'll, I'll get one, you know, you know, I'll find one when, when the time's right. Right. And now that is a $30,000 watch. Wow. You know what I mean? It's like, and nobody could have predicted that. If somebody said they predicted that, that person's a stone-faced liar. You just knew it would yeah. be a nice watch. And like, Came out of nowhere. James, yeah, the Jim Bond pieces sell out. So you're like, okay, it'll sell out, but not like a, a strong 30K. Like 30K well spent. It looks so beautiful. Yeah, it's a there. unicorn of a watch. Yeah, for sure. So, all right. Well, on that note and with that story of uh, of sorrow, uh, let's yeah. go ahead and end this. So uh, uh, CQ, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, oh, chat with pleasure, me. My friend. Yeah, man. This is it's been it's been too long. Hopefully, uh, once the uh, the apocalypse is over and and we can go back outside and actually touch another human being and be around people will be less than six feet. Maybe you and I will grab a, grab a drink and, uh, and we'll chat some more and, and, uh, reminisce on our, on the, the early days. Yeah, of- for sure. For sure. You stay in Florida. I'll come visit you. Oh, please. And, do. um, we'll, we'll definitely make it happen once, uh, once all the zombies are gone and that, that, that whole thing's over. <laughs> yeah, man. We will, uh, we'll definitely catch up. It was a great show, man. This was, this was fun. Yeah. This was fun for me as well. So guys, uh, remember to subscribe to our, uh, to our channel or on YouTube, we're uh, Watchbox Studios on uh, on iTunes. This is the Trading Desk Podcast. 
Uh, we have uh, Instagram. Right now we're running the All In Challenge, so go ahead and check that out. You can make some bids for a really cool oh, yeah. experience and, and also a uh, Rolex Daytona. So, uh, yeah, go ahead and check it out. Check us out, and uh, I'll see you next week. Thank mm-hmm. you.